Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to American History to 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, The Corrupt Bargain, The Presidency of John Quincy Adams. Please follow along on the PowerPoints as I speak, and turn to the slide, The Election of 1824. Now remember, the Federalists are all but dead. Five candidates in this election all claim to be Republicans. John C. Calhoun withdraws from the race very early and announces his desire to serve as vice president either under Adams or Jackson. Crawford suffers a partial stroke, and he had strong support and stays in the race, but will drag down other candidates. The remaining three, Clay, Jackson, and Adams, will fight it out for the presidency. The electoral returns easily show that Calhoun had won the vice presidency. And in the Electoral College, Jackson had received 99 votes, Adams 84, Crawford 41, and Clay 37. Jackson also defeated Adams in the popular vote, with a vote of 153,000 to 108,000. But no one had received a majority in the Electoral College. And what happens when there's a tie in the Electoral College? That's right, it goes to the House of Representatives. Civics 101. So, now this election hinges on the House's decision, and according to the 12th Amendment, they get to choose between the top three. Well, who is the Speaker of the House? That's right, Henry Clay, and now he is in a position to influence events. At this point, Adams begins to electioneer. He attends dinners, he talks to important congressmen, and he articulates his positions on the issues. Up to this point, Adams had always prided himself on not campaigning. His attitude had always been never to seek office, only to accept it when his countrymen called. So now, how can he get Clay on his side? Well, in reality, Clay had already made up his mind. Crawford's health was too poor. And regarding Jackson, Clay remarked, quote, I cannot believe that killing 2,500 Englishmen at New Orleans qualifies for the various difficult and complicated duties of the chief magistrate, end quote. So basically, being a good general does not mean that you will be a good president. Well, despite the fact that Clay and Adams had butted heads in the past, they both believed the federal government should play a more active role in the nation's economic development, such as funding internal improvements, creating a national bank, and enacting a protected tariff. Basically, all of Henry Clay's American system. Please advance to the next slide, entitled, Controversy. In January of 1825, Clay met with Adams privately and pledged that he and his friends, basically the congressmen from the western states, would support Adams. You know, in February 1825, with Clay presiding, the House elected Adams by a single vote. Adams' victory was guaranteed because he had won the four western states of Kentucky, Ohio, Louisiana, and Missouri. And several days later, Adams named Clay as his Secretary of State. And Jackson's supporters, called Jacksonians, were livid. They cried foul and labeled this as a corrupt bargain. On March 4, 1825, Adams delivered his inaugural address at the Capitol. Afterward, Jackson shook his hand for the last time. 
please advance to the next slide, entitled Adam's Presidency. So, a quick JQA story. He loved going for nude swims in the Potomac River. He thought it was good for him. In fact, most Americans believed that cold water was better than hot water until after the 1850s. Super random. Anyway, during John Quincy Adams' presidency, some internal improvement projects were started. He tried to get Congress to build a national university and observatory, but they would have none of it. He wanted more roads to the West in Ohio and to St. Louis, but they were obstinate. During his presidency, there was a healthy economy, and there was peace abroad. And Secretary of State Clay negotiated nine different commercial treaties with foreign countries. July 4th, 1826, though, was the end of an era. It was the 50th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. And on that day, both Jefferson and John Adams died in their respective homes, with John Adams famously saying with his last breath, Thomas Jefferson lives. Well, that's the good of his administration. What about the bad? Well, in his first inaugural address, he suggested that America should be more like Europe intellectually and scientifically. And you should know from modern American politics that even hinting at us being anything like Europeans is a big no-no. Also, he said that Congress should pass internal improvement bills even if their constituents opposed it, which is kind of, kind of flying in the face of democracy. Now, Jacksonians very quickly called him out of touch. And they also claimed that he sympathized with the Creeks, whom white Georgians were manipulating and trying to force to the West. Adams actually disallowed a treaty that made the Creek give up their land to Georgia because he felt it was done under duress. Now, this killed any support he had in the South and in the West, and it also suggests that he is a man of principle rather than politics. And God, that is something that we need today. Anyway, John Quincy Adams refused to award patronage or to electioneer, and compared to Jackson, who spent four days in New Orleans in 1828 celebrating the 13th anniversary of his victory there, John Quincy Adams was not going to hold any parties to make any favors or gain any supporters. And this would ultimately hurt him in the coming elections. Surprisingly, his own vice president, John C. Calhoun, bolted to join the Jacksonians, who opposed everything Adams did. So can you imagine the sitting vice president of the United States bolting his president and going over to the other side? It's almost unthinkable in our modern day context. And it also illustrates just what an opportunistic person Calhoun was. Well, eventually, New York Senator Martin Van Buren, who ran a powerful political machine, also joined Jackson's team. And Van Buren and his allies created the first truly modern political organization, with an intricate network of state and local organizations that mobilized the electorate behind the Democratic Party. And Van Buren's main goal was to get Jackson elected. Please advance to the next slide, entitled Seeds of Disunion. In May of 1828, Congress passed and Adams signed a tariff bill, which would raise the price of nearly every imported good into the United States. And ultimately, 
Both the North and the Middle States supported this because it protected their industries. But Southerners despised it because they were more dependent on imports than were Northerners and because it meant that they had to pay higher prices on manufactured goods. Remember, the South is an export-dominated economy, a single cash crop system, which means they have to import all of their manufactured goods and it makes them more susceptible to market pressures. Well, as a result, many Southerners called the tariff an abomination. In December of 1828, the South Carolina legislature published the so-called South Carolina Exposition and Protest, which stated that a state could nullify a federal law that it deemed unconstitutional. Now, clearly, they are drawing on the ideas of the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions. And they went beyond that and said that if the federal government refused to recognize a state's ability to nullify law, then that state could secede from the Union. Now, the exposition was authored anonymously by the Vice President John C. Calhoun. Can you imagine a modern-day vice president writing an op-ed about how terrible the president's policy is and that a state could secede from the Union? It is absolutely unthinkable. Well, the South Carolina legislature will stop short of nullifying the law. For now. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Political Turning Point. The Jackson, Calhoun, and Van Buren team created the Democratic Party. It was a tightly coordinated campaign, and the Adams-Clay team, called the National Republicans, did not have an effective infrastructure the way the Democrats did. And if you think politics is dirty today, this is one of the nastiest elections ever. Jacksonians claimed that Adams had provided a young girl for the Tsar's pleasure while he was minister to Russia. They claimed that he used public money to buy a pool table and a chess set for the White House. <gasps> oh my gosh. I mean, look at what's happening today and the type of money that's being spent. And the idea that a pool table and a chess set is a major controversy is absolutely hilarious. Well, in response, Adams supporters claimed that Jackson was a brawling, dueling illiterate, that he had executed several Tennessee militiamen during the War of 1812, and more seriously, that he had stolen his wife Rachel from another man and lived with her before marriage. Now, in truth, Jackson probably thought that she had been divorced from an abusive husband, but still, the optics were really bad. And divorce was still looked down upon in that era. So compared today, when the current president has had four different marriages and cheated on every single one of his spouses, and even used campaign funds to provide hush money to one of said mistresses, you can see how far we have fallen. Well, tragically, Rachel, Jackson's wife, died right before the election. And Jackson blamed Adams and his supporters for her death and was going to make it his life mission to make them all miserable. In the election of 1828, Jackson won in a landslide with 178 to 83 electoral votes. Calhoun again won the vice presidency. And Jackson won the popular vote 647,276 votes to 508,000 and 64 votes. And some of you may wonder, 
why are the numbers so much higher than the election of 1824? Well, in the 1820s, most states expanded male suffrage by either abolishing or reducing property holding requirements, which means that by 1840, over 90% of adult males could vote. Well, all except for South Carolina, who up to 1865 did not have a popular vote for the president. And that just tells you everything you need to know about South Carolina. Anyway, popular politics, campaigning, and electioneering were now accepted and were very effective. I mean, a backcountry Indian fighter with little formal education was elected president, and he beat out a highly experienced, educated statesman whom the Jacksonians had effectively labeled as an out-of-touch elitist. And that is going to signal a future campaign strategy that will be used over and over again. Jackson himself was a son of poor immigrants, born on the frontier, wounded by a British officer, a rough and ready Indian fighter, a theoretical hero of the common man. But he was not a poor commoner. He was a lawyer and a slave owner who lived at the Hermitage, a massive plantation house, certainly not a log cabin. So again, as I've said before, this type of strategy is going to be used time and time again as elites who try to sell themselves as a man of the people. So the nation now had to ask itself, how would this man of the people rule as president? And next time, we will see how Andrew Jackson will change American politics forever and usher in the age of Jacksonian democracy. Well, I all hope that you are being responsible and safe in this time of the COVID pandemic of 2020. Administratively, I am changing some assignments around, and I will be making an announcement shortly about the new requirements for the course. Until then, continue to look at the PowerPoints, listen to the podcasts, view any of the readings or videos that I post, complete your weekly discussions, and be safe, do good, wash your hands, and have a wonderful day.